My name's Rob, by the way. Good morning. Pop, one of the pastors here. Um, look, some of you, uh, and this is okay, if you don't have a Bible, we actually have some extra Bibles for you to follow along with. So um, if you'd like to follow along, I-, I won't embarrass you to say, hey, get up and go. But Ben has kindly offered, unbeknownst to him, and so, and, and so has Andrew, that uh, look, if you like a Bible, just go ahead, no shame, raise your hand so you can follow along, because what we're going to be doing is flipping through the book of Joshua as we're going through the book of Pentateuch. So if you'd like a Bible and like to follow along, just raise your hand, no shame. No one? Nobody. Okay. There you go. Hey, we have some tickers. Come on, boys. So yeah, look, if you, uh, it's, it's going to be a lot easier to track along. We're, we're intentionally not shooting them up here on the PowerPoint because I want you to, or you guys call PowerPoint, PowerPoint, the slides whatever you guys call that, um, because I want you guys tracking along to see the Bible for your own eyes. Um, there's a thousand reasons for that. Um, I'll just name that one. You want you to see it with your own eyes. I want you to, yeah, and track along that way. See the whole book of Joshua, chapters, verses. Chapters are the sort of the headings. Verses are the sentences, smaller ones. So if you want a Bible, yep, raise your hand and... Uh, Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it, man. So, uh, look, it's actually one year today that marks um, my first Sunday here. As in, like, so, yeah, of course you're going to clap. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I feel like if I ever want to get a clap, I'm just, yeah, I know where to come. Um, no, but look, it's exciting, right? Praise the Lord. One year I started, this is my first, and we did Jesus Messiah, and it was, uh, and we're still teaching about Jesus the Messiah, and so it's been, look, in, in God's kindness, how, how kind has the Lord been to continue to provide and continue to have me and my family here? So we're really grateful that this isn't just uh, the thing that you say every year, you know, like you're supposed to say on an anniversary, oh, you know, I'm so glad that everything's been so great and blah, 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 blah. But actually, I really do mean that. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to see what the Lord has been doing. Very excited to... This is a lovely, quirky congregation. Can I just say that? And, and, and I'm the perfect fit for it. That's, uh, that, exactly. So, um, yeah, look, we really are. I mean, admit that. We, we, we totally are. So, um, and, and I'm weird and quirky to, to help... Pastor, you guys. So it's been it's been a it's been a joy. I've been grateful, and God willing, uh, we'll continue to, um, yeah, move move together. So uh, just yeah, praise the Lord. One year, isn't that exciting? It's 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 also been it's amazing to you how a year flies. By the way, um, we uh, when we look at the book of Numbers, it's also been one year that the nation of Israel has been camped out at Mount Sinai now. Um, and undoubtedly, there's an excitement in the air. Probably more excitement than there is about me being here one year, right? Undoubtedly, oh, you never know, though. They make Colin collapse a lot. But um, there... <laughs> yes, yeah. Undoubtedly, there's, there's an excitement in the air. Um, numbers opens up by counting all the men who are able to fight. Um, they're taking a census. They're arranged like an army. They're going into battle to conquer the promised land. And the Lord is rising up. 
and goes before them. They can see the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. High five, come on, let's go. Promised land, next stop. Exciting, that's thrilling. That's a good thing. All the promises to Abraham years ago that we've been hearing about, that our grandparents have been passing on to us, are now going to happen. The promised land, here we go. It's exciting. It's kind of like when you're about to go on holiday. The car is full of petrol, the camp gear, and food are packed. Come on, get in the car, kids. Let's go. This is exciting. But imagine, as a parent who's done all the prep work to get everything ready, your kids say, we don't want to go. In fact, we hate this camp spot. And, you know, to be frank, we're fed up with listening to you guys tell us what to do, mom and dad. Now, as a parent, you hear that? You're shocked. You're incensed. How dare you little rebellious children say that to me and disrespect me, right? But it doesn't end there. No, 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 no. The kids actually have the audacity to start unpacking the car. And they take the food that you've packed and they start chucking it across the lawn. And they're letting the air out of the tires. <laughs> now, as a parent, how are you going to respond? Well, you're going to want to murder them, right? But you're not going to really kill them. Well, because you, you love them and, and they're your children. So inevitably, you're going to show them mercy, but they're not going to go unpunished for their misbehavior. And that's the picture we get in the book of Numbers. After everything God has done for his people, redeeming them, providing for them, they're going to respond with scandalous, scandalous disobedience and unbelief. And God will judge them, but he will also show them mercy. That's the book of Numbers. We get a picture of God who is the merciful judge of his people. God is the merciful judge of his people. That's the banner that flies over the book of Numbers. And that's where we're going today. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this theme, this idea that God is the merciful judge of his people. And we're going to look at a number of texts. That's why I, I said it's helpful to have a, a Bible. Because typically what we do here on a Sunday morning is we look at one portion of scripture and unpack it like we just did the Sermon on the Mount, but we've been going through the Pentateuch and just looking at each book on a Sunday morning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy next week. So we're going to be flipping around and seeing this theme repeat again and again, God is the merciful judge of his people. I pray that that sticks this morning, that, that it's not just information for you, but it actually, for some of you, it actually reorients your thinking of God. For some of you, the Lord actually uses this to, to draw you to himself. For, uh, uh, there's a thousand things I'm sure the Lord can do as his word is preached. And, and I pray that that happens now. So let's, let's actually look to the Lord in prayer before we dive into it. Lord, this is your word. We trust that you are sovereign. We lo Lord, we also know that your word does not return void. So we pray that as our Bibles are opened, that our hearts would be teachable. And Lord, that you would change us from the inside out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we come, as I said, in our study through the Pentateuch, Pentateuch 
First five books of the Bible. We come today to the book of Numbers. Now, let's be honest. The title of that book is not very appetizing. Numbers, yay. All right, I mean, the only people that get jazzed up about numbers are people like Rob Wright, who is an accountant, or, or math teachers, right? Those are the people that get excited about numbers. But for the rest of us, numbers, really? I mean, pretty unattractive. Who wants to read a book about some ancient census of people that took place thousands of years ago in a land completely foreign to us? I mean, talk about putting you to sleep, right? I will say the title of Numbers is probably actually not the best. Um, Now, the reason I say that is because there's a census given. Yeah, sure. So let's say there's a census given at the beginning, at the end. But a better title for the book would be In the Wilderness. In the Wilderness, because that's precisely what we see, don't we? Most of the events in this book, both good and bad, take place in the wilderness. Now, before you get your nose out of joint and think that I'm somehow like, wow, it's really disrespectful. Are you changing the title of the books in the Bible? You're changing the word of God. Revelation has a verse for you. Okay? In Hebrew, the title is actually in the wilderness of. Okay? It's the Greek and Latin that we get, right? It's the Latin Vulgate. Don't worry about it if you know what that is. And the Greek LXX. If you don't know what that is, just whatever. Ignore what I'm saying. That's where we get the idea numbers, okay? But I think a better title is In the Wilderness. Because it's in the wilderness where God's people complain about their food about their leaders, about their hardships. It's in the wilderness where they turn on each other. It's in the wilderness where they must wander for 40 years. It's in the wilderness that God's people fail and are judged, but they're also shown mercy because God is the merciful judge of his people. Numbers is a fascinating book on so many levels. It has 36 chapters, can be divided into three sections. All three of these sections are geographical, by the way. So like you just picture, if someone was reading the book of the Central Coast, we would say, uh, you know, everything good happens at Avoca Beach. No, they wouldn't say that. It actually does, because that's where the surf is. And God's glory is in Wyoming or, you know, whatever. But um, let me just sort of help you give you an outline of the book here. Um, chapters one through 10, if you look up here on the PowerPoint, they are, all, they are basically set around Mount Sinai, okay? Chapters 11 through 16 record the 40-year wanderings, and chapters 17 through 36 are set on the plains of Moab across from the Promised Land. At that sort of, so everything pivots geographically. So the first 10 chapters reveal all the prep work that's to be done before Israel leaves Sinai and heads to the Promised Land. They've got to get everything sorted, right? From everything from fighting men to shoring up the law to transporting the tabernacle to religious vows, all this is to be done with the anticipation of entering the land that God had promised them. Then the day comes, all the boxes have been ticked, and off they go. Pick up with me in chapter 10 of Numbers. 
chapter 10. Someone yell out the page number if you have a pew Bible. We don't have pews, but... Wow, what a guy. 118. That's the accountant. (laughs) Poor Rob. So good. That's what I love about this church, too. All right, so chapter 10. Look at this. It's just a beautiful picture of God leading his people here. It's like a royal procession. Look at chapter 10, Numbers 33. 33, so they set out from the mount of the Lord, three days journey, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them three days journey. Remember, we learned about that in Leviticus. To seek a resting place for them. In verse 34, and the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it is rested, he said, return, O Lord, to the 10,000 thousands of Israel. Pretty good stuff. It's pretty exciting, right? It's an interesting little phrase that Moses is talking about there. Here they are like a royal procession heading to the promised land. All the boxes have been ticked, and then it implodes. Chapter 11. Look at this implosion. And, chapter 11, verse 1, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. This episode truly sets the tone for what unfolds in the next several chapters, friends. The people grumble, and God judges them. But there's mercy. Look at verse 2. Doesn't just wipe them out. Look at verse 2. And the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. You see that? There's judgment, and then there's also mercy. But you would think after an event like that, we can't relate to that. Imagine people grumble in this church, and then it gets like consumed by fire, right? I I would never open my mouth ever again. But it doesn't stop these people. Verse four, they're at it again. They're whinging again. Look at verse four. Now the riffraff, right, or the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Oh, that we had food that cost nothing. Yeah, nothing except for your lives of servitude. You were slaves for that food, dummies. That's how you got that food. Hello, give me a break. That's what you paid for your food, your very lives. Not to mention, you're heading to a land flowing of milk and honey. The irony of that. Just be patient. And you know, as much as I can look at these people and shake my head in disgust, I think I can relate to them. I really do. I look at my own life and how kind the Lord has been to me. 
then one tiny thing happens that I didn't plan, something that makes my life uncomfortable, something that might even last for a season, and what do I do? I whinge about it. God, this isn't fair. Come on. Lord, I'm trying to serve you here. I'm trying to trust you, and you can bring this into my life? Ridiculous. And look at verse six. It doesn't stop. Because they've gotten this supernatural bread from heaven and they're still whinging about that. Verse six, but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Oh, come on, guys. Supernatural bread from heaven. And think about their complaint here. I mean, think about their complaint. It's, it's looking backward and forward, right? The former reflects their lack of gratitude for all that God has done for them in the past. And the latter displays their lack of faith regarding all that God will do for them in the future. Sadly, we can resonate with that, can't we though? Often we're ungrateful and chafe at God's provision for us now and we don't trust him for the future. I mean, if we just stop for a second, think about this. If you just stopped for a second and looked at the ways in which God has been good to you, friend, I think you'd marvel Honestly, you'd marvel at how ungrateful and forgetful you are for his mercy shown to you and how you'd complain like the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel complains, they fail to trust God, and God punishes them. But that's not the end of the story, you know? That's not the end, you know, the curtain closes, the credits go up, whatever. No, no, no. He doesn't sweep them off the face of the earth as their sins deserve, but he forgives and keeps them, right? You see, Numbers is a book of repeated tragedy, but more than that, it is a book of enduring hope. God is the merciful, merciful judge of his people. Now, I want you to see this played out again. Let's go to scene two here in chapter 13. Chapters 13 and 14 bring us to the center of the book of Numbers, and it is a sad state of affairs. It is a sad center. Chapter 13 begins with so much potential. In fact, if you don't know what is ahead, you read through the chapter as untroubled and as expectant as a child on Christmas Eve. Man, the hopes that are so close to being fulfilled after all the centuries of waiting, after all the amazing miracles, the people stand poised to enter the promised land. The spies have gone ahead into the land. They have returned and now they begin their report of what they have seen. Chapter 13, verse 25. Chapter 13, verse 25. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. This verse is probably the high point of expectation. They showed them the fruit of the land. Two blokes had to carry these grapes. Okay? Big old cluster of grapes. And man, if only they had stopped there right? Hey, the land's good. The land's great. Check it out. This is wonderful. 
Look at verse 27. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. But no. However, no. When you begin a but or a uh, yeah with God's promise, you're heading in the wrong direction. And that's exactly what we see. Notice verse 28. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides that, there's lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! We're dead. Look at verse 30. Caleb doesn't think so. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought, listen, they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land. And what did the people decide to do? Who are the people they they want to listen to? What makes sense to them? What seems logical? What seems tangible? Oh, well, we're gonna, yeah, this is crazy. Who is this? small little smattering of people. We can't conquer these giants. We're like grasshoppers to them. And these people, the nation, had given themselves over so much to fear and rebellion that they're actually ready to kill Moses and Aaron. Look at chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people people wept that night And the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and then go back. And then in verse 10, if you drop down there, then all the congregation said to one another with, uh, sorry, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And look at how God feels about it. God's not like, hey, you know what? That's cool. That's cool. You know what? That's all right. You can, uh, you can spit in my face. I'm cool with that. You know, if you want to meet me in a shack somewhere and cuss me out, that's cool. I can handle it. I'm God. No, it's not what happens. Look at, it says here, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and look, disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. You know what? Let's just start all over. Let's, pick the, let's hit reset. Let's start with you, Moses. Let's do another Noah's Ark all over again. And what does Moses do? He intercedes for these guilty people in verse 13, doesn't he? It's incredible. And how does he intercede for them, by the way? He appeals to God on his name, who he is, how God has already disclosed himself 
to Moses. The Lord is gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in chesed is the Hebrew word. It's God's loving kindness. But there's an interesting thing here. I want you to notice when you think of mercy and judgment, look at verse 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Well, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the leaders of their children to the third and fourth generation. And then look what Moses, right? So please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. So how is God going to respond? Verse 20, right? The Lord indeed forgives them. Nevertheless, they receive the due consequences of their sin. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have yet put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despise me shall see it. Wow. We see mercy, but we also see judgment, don't we? See, this 40-year journey is not uh, like giving a kid a timeout that's misbehaving. Do you understand that? God's not going, you know what? All right, that's it. Go to your room. Timeout. No, you have to understand it is God's death sentence to a whole generation. Not one individual who witnessed the miracles or was delivered from Egypt will see the land except Joshua and Caleb. Because Israel have scorned God's ways and spurned God himself by their distrust and disobedience, God judges them. The wilderness will not be a bypath but a cemetery. Friend, listen to me. Consider the seriousness of sin. Think about how much death occurs in the book of Numbers. Rebelling against the author of life kills life. It is dangerous. Never underestimate the seriousness of sin or trifle with it as if you can perceive all its consequences. Moses will later say, in Numbers, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. So friend, I plead with you today, turn from your sin. Turn from your sin while there is still time. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man reaps, that he also sows. Feel the weight of this, friend. God is the merciful judge of his people. Now, I want to show you another picture of God's mercy and judgment. So turn again. Go to the right to Numbers 21. Numbers 21 is another picture of God's mercy and judgment. And once again, the people are whinging. Once again, they're complaining. 
Numbers 21, verse 4. Numbers 21, verse 4, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Well, there's no food, but you hate the food you don't have. I don't, that's funny too, but whatever. Talking about the manna, right? Talking about God's provision. I mean, these are the kind of people who would complain about the temperature of water miraculously gushing from a rock in the desert. Or about the mud sticking to their shoes while walking across the bed of a parted sea. They complain. They constantly whinge. So God responds by sending venomous... I shouldn't laugh. God responds by sending venomous... uh, What's the poisonous snake here? What's the, one of the worst ones? Whatever. Yeah, yeah, all of those ones. You guys know about snakes here. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay? Well, I mean, look at this. Verse six. I'm not making this up. This is why, because look, I, this is why I want you to have a Bible too. If I say, hey, these people, God's people disobeyed, so God killed them with snakes. What is this guy getting off of? What is he, like, I just want, look, it's right. It's right. I'm not making this stuff up. It's just right here. Okay, that's why I want you to see it. So it's like, where's this guy getting this? Right here. So in verse six, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses. So there's, there's the judgment. Here comes the mercy. And the people came to Moses and look what they said. We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That's mercy. You know, Jesus thinks that's a pretty cool story, by the way. Because you're like, look, you, Rob, you're talking about these fiery serpents and stuff. Hey, I follow Jesus, bro. Jesus is the loving, he's the loving guy. He's not ticked off God like you see in the Old Testament here. I follow Jesus. My, I, I follow the red letter Bible. Jesus, that's the one I follow. Jesus quotes when he's talking about his own death this passage, when he's meeting with Nicodemus and he's saying, hey, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? Because Nick, he's talking about being born again. And he relates this idea of born again to this passage. He says, you know what? Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, as we just saw, so everyone who looks to the son of man who's lifted up may live. Because you've been bitten by something far worse than a snake, friends. You have sin, and you will face a holy God in judgment, but God has provided a way through sending his son, Christ, that anyone who looks to the son may live. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. These people, as we look at them in numbers, 
They whinge, and yet God shows them mercy. Those belonging to that generation, rescued from Egypt, were not the only ones who needed a new beginning. Every one of us needs to be born again. And some of us, by God's grace, have been born again. If we are Christians, we have been given a new birth. We have become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We have been made into this, listen, a forward-looking people. What are they doing? They're looking forward, aren't they? There's judgment, there's mercy, and they know. Because what do we have? Numbers, we have the beginning. God says, or near the middle there, God says, all right, you're not entering the land, but where does the book finally end? They're looking at the promised land. That, that's mercy. There's judgment and there's mercy. A forward-looking people, if we've been born again, friends, that's who are we to be, a forward-looking people. Children of the promise to find more by where we are going than by where we are coming from. Our lives may still bear the accents of sin, but our eyes are filled with the hope of heaven, looking to the new heavens and new earth. Now, the next section in Numbers, if you have time tonight, read this. I'm going to break this down for you. You wouldn't believe, I'm not kidding. The next section, God is still gracious. He's giving his people victories. Kings are attacking them, right? And God is giving them victories. He's still being merciful in that way. And so this one king gets kind of nervous and he goes, wow, man, these people that have come out of Egypt, they're pretty full on and this God is with them. They might actually just destroy me and my kingdom. So I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to hire that sort of witch doctor guy named Balaam, right? And, and I'll have this guy, Balaam, bring a curse on these people so that they don't destroy me and my, and my kingdom. So that's what I'll do. I'll hire Balaam. So I'll pay him out. What do you want? You know, I'll, I'll give you everything you want. So he hires this guy, Balaam. He says, all right, Balaam, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go... Hear from God, and then you're going to bring a curse on these people. Got it? Now, now it shifted here. We're sort of like, you know in a movie when you go from, say, like three different scenes, like Lord of the Rings does this really well, sometimes you're, you're in the good guy camp, and then all of a sudden you're in Mordor, right? Or you're in uh, wherever, and you're hearing the, the bad guys talk, or you're hearing like, not just Lord of the Rings, but other movies do that, right? You're sort of like, you're in scene number one, and then behind enemy lines, this is what they're talking about. Well, that's what's going on here. Behind enemy lines, there's this king, Balak, interesting name, and he's hired this prophet, Balaam, to bring a curse on God's people. And so, he says, come with me, bring a curse, and you know what the Lord says to him? You can't curse these people. These are my children. I have blessed them. You won't curse them. And so, the king of Edom says, all right, Balaam, what did the Lord tell you? He says, oh, I can't, I can't curse, I can't, I can't curse Israel, I'm sorry. I know you, I, you know, here, here, here's your money back. I, I, I can't do it. Oh, come on. Let's, let's try this again. Let's shift gears here. I'll, I'll, I'll send some of my princes. They'll show up in their Lamborghinis just to remind you of the, a lot of the money we got here. Curse these people for goodness sakes. 
And so he goes, well, I, I, I can't, but I'll, 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 all right, just I'll, I'll go with you guys then. I'll follow you guys. So he gets on his donkey. He's following them along and he's gonna go to where the nation of Israel is at and he's gonna curse them. And as he's riding his donkey, Balaam is the seer. The irony of this, he is the seer, right? Am I saying that weird with my accent? Some of you give me strange looks. Say I might. Sorry. He sees, Balaam sees, okay? Yet he doesn't see the angel of the Lord standing in the pathway with a drawn sword. Who sees the angel of the Lord with a drawn sword? The jackass, right? The, the, the donkey. And what is, and like any reasonable, sensible uh, donkey, I guess, <laughs> takes off running into a field with Balaam on the donkey, <laughs> right? And Balaam gets really mad, actually starts hitting the donkey. Now they're in this vineyard. Balaam gets off, he's hitting his donkey. The donkey gets, sees the angel of the Lord standing there again, freaks out, backs up, crushes Balaam's foot. Balaam hits the donkey again, and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord, hides like a child under Balaam. Balaam is in such a dark place that rather than be sensible and say, okay, something's not right here, the donkey, God speaks through the donkey. I'm not making this stuff up. You can read this. God speaks through the donkey. And, and, and Balaam, rather than Balaam saying, well, hold on here. This isn't Shrek. You know, donkeys don't talk. Okay, like this something's, something's not right. He starts arguing with the donkey. And, and he says, and he goes, you know, and basically the donkey looks at him and goes, hey man, why, why are you hitting me? And he goes, if I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now because you've done this to me. And it's like, are you kidding me? And God opens up Balaam's eyes. Now the seer can see. And then he goes and he, one last time and he gives the message sees them, and it's this beautiful message about a star rising out from Jacob. There's this beautiful message and poetic imagery about like, it sounds like the Garden of Eden. These people are, are blessed, they're flourishing. These are God's people pointing forward to the Messiah who will eventually come from them. I can't curse these people, but here's what I can suggest you do. I can't curse them, but you know what you should do? Cause these people to sin against God, he'll curse them. He'll judge them. And so, how are we going to do that? Well, let's take down the men. How are we going to take down the men? Meat and women. So let's have a big fest of steaks and let's send in a bunch of prostitutes to sleep with the men. And that's precisely what happens. And there's a plague that breaks out because of it. People are dying left, right, and center. Pick up with me now in Numbers 25. So verse two, these invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, right? These are the, and then the people are bowed down to their gods. Verse three, so Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, that's the fertility God. And the angel of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord. 
that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. Do you understand what's going here? All these people have died. And here's this guy who has the audacity to, he's walking hand in hand with this woman in the sight of all the people weeping, in the sight of Moses, in the sight, and goes into the tent of meeting to sleep with her. The people are weeping, but what finally gets rid of the plague, the wrath? It's actually one of the priests, uh, Phineas, son of Eleazar. What does he do? As these, as the couple are likely in the act of fornication, he takes a spear and drives it through both of them. I'm not making this up. Some of your eyebrows are raising. I understand. Look at verse 10. This is what happens. And the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, and that he was jealous. With my, jealous, with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. I say all of that. I know that sounds intense, and it is. God is serious about his people being holy. We learn that about Leviticus. God is merciful. God is also judging. And you can cry about your sin, That's what people are doing. They're weeping. But what finally gets rid of the plague? Killing the sin. You have, friend, listen to me. If you fear God enough, it's not enough just to simply cry about sin in your life and feel bad about it for five minutes. You must kill your sin. You must destroy your sin. Not people, by the way. Don't take that literally. You must kill your sin. Now I want to close because Paul picks up all of numbers essentially and remind us that these are actually examples for us. That lest, let he who thinks that he stands firm take heed lest he fall. Turn to 1 Corinthians. So, so go to the right. We're going to close with this. Look at Paul's commentary on Numbers. 1 Corinthians 10. Thank you, accountant. Nine fifty-seven. First Corinthians, on mine it's 1,217, but there you go. 1 Corinthians 10. Listen to the themes that Paul picks up here regarding numbers. He says, For I want you, 1 Corinthians 10, 1, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea 
and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us. Did you see that there? That's the, hey, that's where we live in today, in Narara, in Wyoming, on the central coast. These things for examples for us. No matter how old you are, well, I'm 15, I'm 14, I'm 12, I can't walk with the Lord, and now I'm 35, I'm 85. No, listen, these are examples for us, friends. Examples. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Christian, yeah, hallelujah, exactly. Christian brother or sister, learn from the negative examples in the book of Numbers. Do not rebel, but trust God and his plans. Trust him even in his timing. He is always right and he is always good. When God makes promises, he fulfills them in his own time and way. Christian, do you feel that God is unable to do what he has promised this morning? Or that maybe he is not really so good after all? Do not go the way of complaining, unbelieving children of Israel, but believe God's word. Yes, I know. Life can be confusing. I get that. And you feel like you're walking in the wilderness now. So as Christians, we must remind one another that this world is not our home. Rather, we are on a journey headed home. And this hope of home is no blurry-eyed romanticism. It is a clear-eyed hope for the future of a new heavens and a new earth. Praise God, I can't wait to get there. And I want everyone in this room to be there with us. So if you're here this morning and you have not clothed, clothed with Christ, you've not turned from your sin and been born again, don't wait any longer. Come to Jesus today. For those of us that are Christians, we need to remind ourselves of that hope, don't we? That's one of a number of reasons why it is absolutely crucial for you to be a part of a local church that preaches the gospel. And if you call this church your home, you cannot come every third or fourth week. We need, you, you come here to join here with us. I understand sometimes you go on holiday, but you come here, you know, we're going to hold it, okay? I'm trying to take away all your doubt, you know. You come here, it says not forsake meeting together as some in the habit of doing. Listen, you cannot just create church 
the Lord creates the church. We are his people. We are the ecclesia, the called out ones. We are called not to neglect meeting together. God has it to where you are to be edified on the Lord's day to Sunday. God has created the institutional church. This is for you to be a part of. Not for you to come whenever you sow, when it's convenient. For you to be a part of. God has called you to be here. I've been here one year. I absolutely love it. I, I, I cannot wait for this next year. I'm excited. But if you're not here on a Sunday, I can't know you. You can't know each other. I want to move forward together, linking arms, looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. I'm really excited about that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. We pray that what was said here today that is true of you, that is right, may it stick and sink deep roots into our hearts and the way that we live. Lord, we know that no temptation has seized us except what is common to man, and you are faithful. You will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear, but you'll provide a way of escape. Remind us of that this afternoon as we're tempted to sin. Help us to cling to you, Lord Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.